Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapter 21 of New Moon, Verdict. Before we get into this chapter, I just wanted to thank all the patrons of Breaking Down Bad Books who have signed up on Patreon. They help support the show, and I really appreciate it. If you also want to get some bonus episodes, a new episode every week on the exclusive feed, you can go to patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. For $3 a month, you get about four or five episodes. It's one a week every Friday. Recapping 365 days and a soon-to-be-announced other book because we're almost finished with 365 days. What a hoot it has been. But back to New Moon. Where we left off, they went to Italy. So Bella and Alice just went to Italy to catch up with Edward. She pushed Edward out of like a little ray of sunshine and he was like, wow, I'm dead already. (laughs) So dumb. And then the Volturi were like, um, you're not dead. And... This is an interesting little situation. So they take them down into like the depths of Volterra. And she starts this chapter saying, we were in a brightly lit, unremarkable hallway. I think they're like underground or they were underground, but now they're in some like ancient building. But no, it's an unremarkable hallway. Nothing to, nothing to say about it. She said the hall seemed very benign after the gloom of the ghoulish stone sewers. So she's just happy to be out of the sewers. I suppose when you've just come through the sewers, anywhere would be unremarkable in comparison. So then they get in an elevator. So I guess they're going up or down. I don't know. And the Volturi that are with them, like, take down their hoods. She says, Felix and Dimitri were both of a slightly olive complexion. Because that's important to know. She's like, it looked odd combined with their chalky pallor. And then they get out of the elevator into, like, a posh office reception area. She says the walls were panelled in wood, the floors carpeted in a thick, deep green. Ew, green carpet. What? And she says there were no windows, but large, brightly lit paintings of the Tuscan countryside hung everywhere as replacements. Which makes sense, because obviously they're vampires, they don't want the sun coming in because it will kill them. Oh wait, no it won't, it'll just make them glimmer. So they don't have windows, they've just got fake little portraits of the outside world hung up around the castle. Are they in a castle? I don't know where they are. And then Bella's gawking at the receptionist because she's really pretty. She's tall with dark skin. Why do we? She's tall with dark skin and green eyes. And she would have been pretty anywhere else. But here, because she was the only human, she doesn't look as pretty as everyone else. 
And Bella, the most unself-aware character ever, says, I couldn't comprehend what this human woman was doing here, totally at ease, surrounded by vampires. Um, that's you. You're always hanging out with vampires totally at ease. Why can't you comprehend it that someone else might be? And then she's saying that the receptionist isn't even surprised when she's looking at Jane and, and the rest of them. I don't, I don't know why she'd be surprised. She clearly works there. She's used to this. And she says she wasn't surprised at Edward, his bare chest glinting dimly in the white lights. Is she implying that his chest is still shimmery? Because you just told us that these are artificial lights. It's not the, it's not the outside world. There's no windows. So there's no sunshine. Do vampires still glimmer with like fluorescent lighting? That doesn't make sense. His bare chest glinting dimly in the white lights. I don't think so. And then she calls herself disheveled and comparatively hideous. Oh, she is not nice to herself. So then they walk through another set of wooden doors. Oh, just this, the start of this chapter and the end of last chapter is just them walking through doors into another hallway, through another set of doors, up an elevator, into a receptionist area with green carpet. So on the other side of the wooden doors, there's a pale boy in a pearl gray suit that could have been Jane's twin. She says, he could have been Jane's twin. Well, they're twins. They are twins. Very astute, Bella. So then Jane and Alec embrace each other, giving the old kiss on both sides of each cheek. Because, you know, they're in Italy. They've got to greet each other the Italian way. And Alec says, welcome back, Edward. You seem in a better mood. And Edward says, marginally, in a flat voice. And Bella says she glanced at Edward's hard face and wondered how his mood could have been darker before. Bella is so dumb, this chapter. What do you mean you're wondering how his mood could have been darker? You, you literally stopped him mid-suicide attempt. You stopped him from committing suicide. What do you mean you, you're wondering how his mood could have been darker than it is presently? And then Alec is looking at Bella being like, oh, so this is the cause of all the trouble. And Felix says, dibs. Oh, Felix, you can't just dibs someone. But Edward's snarling at him and, uh, you know. You know how he, he gets. He's so territorial over his ex-girlfriend that he had dumped. So then Alec and Jane are like, Arrow will be pleased to see you. Let's not keep him waiting. And then Alec and Jane holding hands led the way down yet another wide ornate hall. <sighs> another hall. So many halls and doors and receptions. And even Bella says, would there ever be an end to all of these ornate halls? <laughs> Great point, Bella. Also, Alec and Jane holding hands, they're siblings, that's creepy. Like, I know you're vampires and you've probably lived for thousands of years and you both have little special talents and you eat people, but holding each other's hands as siblings, that's just too far. Ugh, and then at the end of the hallway, there's another door. A plain wooden door that's not locked. Ugh, another door, another wooden door. So they walk through that one and it's another like stone room. Similar to the sewers, she says. And it was dark and cold again. The stone antechamber was not large, but it opened into a brighter, cavernous room. <sighs> and it was perfectly round like a huge castle turret, which was probably what it was. Oh, and so this one, we have actual sunlight streaming into the stone floor below. No artificial lights. We've actually got sunlight. No fake, fake windows that are actually just pictures of the Tuscan landscape. I tell you what, th this Volturi interior design team, they really need to sort their shit out because what a mess. 
imagine if you're just popping out into the square, into the into town just to pick up something, and you've got to walk through a million different doors and halls and chambers and then go through the sewers. And in the room, there's some thrones and a handful of people just having a chat. And she's looking at a pair of pale women in summer dresses, just in summer dresses. And Alex wearing a suit. I kind of feel like they should have just stuck with the whole robe ensemble type vibe, but they're just wearing summer dresses and and casual clothes. It's like how... In, you know, Prisoner of Azkaban, the movie, they just stopped wearing cloaks and all of a sudden they're wearing street clothes running around Hogwarts. How freaking annoying was that with Hermione with a pink little hoodie and, and her pair of mum jeans? Ever since Prisoner of Azkaban, they just stopped wearing their, their uniforms. She says most of the immortals were dressed in inconspicuous pants and shirts, things that wouldn't stick out at all on the streets below. Are they going to the streets below? Because it's quite, quite a lot of effort to get there. But there is still one guy wearing a robe. And he's like, oh, Jane, dear one, you've returned. She says he cried in evident delight, but his voice was just a soft sighing. I don't know how you're crying in evident delight, but you're also just softly sighing at the same time. So I imagine it went something like, Jane, dear one, you've returned. Something like that. And so he's like drifting forward and he's super graceful and she's gawking at him. She's like, oh God, even Alice can't even look like that when she's walking. And she's also distracted by his face because he doesn't look like a normal pretty vampire. She says, oh, I couldn't decide if his face was beautiful or not. I suppose the features were perfect. Why does she think that she needs to determine someone's beauty upon meeting them? I couldn't decide if his face was beautiful or not. Do you really need to decide on this? You're in a vampire nest. Alice has prepped you that they're probably going to want to kill you or something. And she's too busy wondering like, oh, are you pretty or are you not pretty? But she says his skin was translucently white, like onion skin. And it looked just as delicate, just as delicate as onion skin. I don't know if onion skin is delicate. And then she says, I felt a strange, horrifying urge to touch his cheek to see if it was softer than Edward's or Alice's or if it was powdery like chalk. Don't touch other people's faces, Bella. A strange urge to touch his cheek. What? And this guy, he's just very over the top because he's like, oh, Jane, you brought Edward as I'd wished. And then he's like, oh, and Alice and Bella too. And he says, this is a happy surprise, wonderful. And he's like clapping his hands. And she's staring in shock as he called our names informally, as if we were old friends dropping in for an unexpected visit. (laughs) This is the thing that shocked her the most. The fact that he referred to her on a first name basis. Shocking. And then this guy, he's like, you see, Edward, what did I tell you? Aren't you glad that I didn't give you what you wanted yesterday? And Edward's like, yeah, uh, Arrow, I am glad. So hang on a minute. It's noonish because we just had the sun in the middle of the sky. And apparently Edward got there yesterday to make the request. So like a good like 12 hours ago. And Bella and Alice only just got there to catch up with him. So on that timeline, it seems like Edward got to Volterra like at least, at least 12 hours earlier than Bella and Alice. Even though they both flew the same distance, they're acting like Edward had this huge head start, even though he didn't, 
I don't know about this. Edward must have nabbed a direct flight, a direct flight to Volterra, because that's a popular tourist destination. No one's going to Italy and going to see Volterra. No offense to anyone from Volterra, because I think it is a real place. Because we all know Stephanie Meyer can't come up with anything original or new. She's always got to copy something, just like she did with Forks. She just Googled the rainier city and she just came up with Forks and said, yeah, that'll do for my setting. I think Volterra is a real place, but no one's ever going there. If someone says, oh, I'm going to Italy. I'm like, oh, where? They'll be like, oh, you know, like Venice, Rome, maybe even Pisa. They're going to Florence. They might even go to Milan if they're into fashion and stuff. But no one's going to Volterra. But Rio de Volterra must be a direct route because Edward got a huge head start. At least 12, 12 hours, probably more like 14. And Arrow's like, this is great, but how did it happen? Alice, your brother seemed to think you're infallible, but apparently there has been some mistake. And she says, oh, I'm far from infallible. You're telling me, Alice, you're telling me. How does Edward still think you're infallible? After everything, how does Edward still trust your visions? Especially when... When we know that Edward's trying to outrun one of Alice's visions that she saw Bella as a vampire, Edward's like, oh, that'll never happen. (laughs) He just picks and chooses which visions he believes in. (laughs) And Alice is like, well, you know what? I I sometimes cause as many problems as I cure them. (laughs) And yeah, you're telling me. But Arrow is impressed. He's like, "I've, I've seen some of your amazing exploits and I must say, I've never observed anything like your talent. Wonderful. And then Alice is looking at Edward being like, what the hell is he talking about? And Arrow's like, oh, you know what? We haven't been introduced properly. I just feel like I know you because your brother introduced us yesterday, yesterday, in a peculiar way. And he says, you see, I share some of your brother's talent, only I am limited in a way that he is not. So apparently Arrow, he needs physical contact to hear someone's thoughts, but he doesn't just hear whatever's passing through their head in that moment. He hears everything, every thought your mind has ever had. That's a lot. That's a lot of thoughts. Much better than Edward's talent, but Arrow is pretending like he's jealous. He's like, oh, to hear from a distance, that would be so convenient. And I'm thinking, mate, you're like the head of the Volterra. I'm pretty sure all of your lackeys would just like let you touch them. Whose mind are you trying to read that you can't get close enough to touch? And then Felix is bringing in Arrow's brothers. So the two other, I don't know, head of the Volturi. And one had the same flowing black hair, but another one, he had a shock of snow white hair, the same shade as his face, and their faces had identical paper thin skin. So this is Marcus and Caius. And Bella's like, oh yeah, that's the trio from Carlisle's painting. They haven't changed in 300 years. And Arrow's like, oh, isn't this wonderful? Bella's really alive. She wasn't dead after all, how fun. And the other two guys are like, whatever. She says they look utterly bored. (laughs) And then Arrow says, let us have the story. And so then Marcus comes up to Arrow and they like hold hands. And then Arrow's like, ah, interesting. He's raising one of his eyebrows. And she wonders how his papery skin did not crumple in the effort. This stupid Bella, she knows how strong vampires are. She knows that like their skin is marble. But she's looking at this ancient vampire's face and she's thinking, gosh, his face is probably going to crumple like paper. And then Arrow is like, thank you, Marcus. That's quite interesting. And she says, I realized a second late that Marcus was letting Arrow know his thoughts. Yeah, no shit. We just had a whole page of dialogue explaining Arrow's powers. And she's like, oh, that's what's happening. 
She's always last to figure everything out. So then Marcus goes to sit down and he's got two bodyguards following. And she says, the idea of any vampire needing a guard was faintly ridiculous to me. But maybe the ancient ones were as frail as their skin suggested. Of course they're not. Of course they're not. And why are you surprised that a vampire needs a bodyguard? Like, Edward and Alice are vampires too, and they could kill them. You've seen vampire on vampire fighting before. She's like, oh, the idea of a vampire needing a bodyguard, that's ridiculous. Well, yeah, maybe from humans, but maybe when they're with other vampires, maybe they do need a bodyguard. I can't believe she thinks that they're frail just because their skin looks old. Like, judge a book by a cover much? So Arrow's like, amazing, that's amazing. And Alice is like, what? And Edward turns to Alice and he says, Marcus sees relationships. He's surprised by the intensity of ours. And it's unclear if he's talking about Alice and Edwards or Edwards and Bellas. I think he's talking about Edwards and Bellas, but he doesn't really um, explain that. But also what a shit talent. Marcus sees relationships. (laughs) Um, Okay, great. You can look on someone's Instagram and figure out their relationship status as well. I don't know why you need a vampire talent to figure out relationships. Like Stephanie Meyer acts like the Volturi are just like this this powerful group. Every vampire has this weird little skill that has helped them for centuries into becoming so powerful. And this guy just reads relationships. (laughs) Tell you what, I'd feel gypped. If old mate next to me can touch someone and hear every single thought they've ever had and all I can see are relationship dynamics, I'd feel gypped. And then Arrow's like, how can you stand next to her? If I hadn't smelled her through your memories, I wouldn't have believed the call of anyone's blood could be so strong. Old mate's been alive for centuries and he's never, never run into someone that smelt really good. Whereas every single one of the Cullens has apparently had that experience. <laughs> So then Arrow and Edward are just talking about the Cullen's lifestyle of not eating humans, which they call being vegetarian, which I, which I just disagree with because they are actually eating animals. But anyway, Arrow says, I am gratified by Carlisle's success. It pleases me to see him being so successful in his lifestyle. And then Arrow's like, in your restraint, I just didn't think it would be possible. I don't even know how you're standing right next to her. And Arrow's like, just remembering how she appeals to you, it makes me thirsty, which is a bit threatening. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. 
but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But then Arrow's like, oh, don't be disturbed. I'm not going to eat her. But I am curious. And so he like lifts one hand and he's like, may I? And Edward's like, uh, ask her. Don't ask me. I don't control her. So for once, Edward's not being controlling. So Arrow's like, yeah, yeah, of course. So Bella, I'm fascinated that you are the exception to Edward's impressive talent. It's so interesting that such a thing could occur. And I was wondering, since our talents are so similar, if you would allow me to see if I'm also an exception. And Bella's horrified at the thought of allowing him to touch her, but also perversely intrigued by the chance to feel his strange skin. Oh, she's really, she's really fascinated by his skin. So Arrow goes to shake her hand and he pressed his insubstantial looking skin against hers. (laughs) Insubstantial looking skin. And she says, it was hard, but felt brittle. And it was even colder than I expected. So hard and cold, like a vampire. Mystery solved. And Arrow's face alters after they touch because he's Confidence wavered and then became doubt and then became incredulity before he calmed it into a friendly mask. And he's like, uh, interesting. And so Arrow's pissed off because he can't read Bella either. And he's like, that's a first. So they're discovering that like no one's talents can work on Bella. Meanwhile, Jasper's sitting at home being like, yeah, I could alter her mood all the time. Alice also sees visions of her all the time. So they're acting like no, no vampire skill can affect her. And yet we've got two great examples of skills that do affect her. And then Arrow's like, you know what? Let's try Jane. Jane. And then Edward's like, no. And Jane's like, yes, master. And Arrow's like, I was wondering if Bella is immune to you. And Edward's growling and he's like, Arr. and Edward's about to launch himself at Jane. And Alice is like, don't. But then next minute, Edward's on the ground in obvious agony. He's just writhing around and she's staring at him in horror and Jane's just there smiling. And then she says it all clicked together. Slow on the uptake, Bella. She says what Alice had said about formidable gifts, why everyone treated Jane with such deference and why Edward had thrown himself in her path before she could do that to me. It all clicked. So Jane can torture people with her mind. Why Edward thought he could jump in between that and stop that connection. I'm, I'm unclear on that. So Jane's just Cruciatus cursing Edward and he's writhing around on the floor. And then eventually Arrow's like, Jane. And Jane's like, ugh, fine. And so she stops. And then Arrow's like, yeah, do it to Bella. Because Arrow inclined his head towards Bella. He's like, uh-uh, over there. And so Jane's like, mm-hmm. And she's smiling. Jane loves this. Jane is so happy with her powers. But then clearly whatever Jane is trying isn't working because she no longer smiled. And she's glaring at Bella with a jaw clenched and nothing happened. And Arrow is like, whoa, this is just crazy. And Jane is pissed off, but Arrow's like, oh, don't be put out, dear one. She confounds us all. Well, she doesn't confound Jasper and Alice. So Arrow's like, oh, well, that was fun, but now what? And he says to Edward, don't suppose you want to join us. Your talent would be an excellent addition to our little company. And Edward's like, nah, rather not. And he's like, well, what about you, Alice? And she's like, nah, rather not. And then he says, what about you, Bella? And Bella's like, what? 
She stared at Arrow blankly. Was he joking? Or was he really asking me if I wanted to stay for dinner? (laughs) I don't think he was asking if you wanted to stay for dinner. And then Caius is like, what Arrow? Uh, Caius is just done with Arrow's shenanigans. Arrow doesn't let anyone else get a word in. Marcus and Caius are just sitting there mute while Arrow is just clapping his hands and laughing and saying, wonderful, fantastic. Dear one this, dear one that. He's being so obnoxious and over the top. And finally, Caius has had enough. And he's like, what? And Arrow says, Caius, surely you see the potential. I haven't seen a prospective talent so promising since we found Jane and Alec. Can you imagine the possibilities when she is one of us? This confuses me because he saw prospective talent in Jane and Alec. And Jane's talent is she can make people hurt with her mind or whatever. I, I don't know what Alec's talent is. How does that really translate when, it, when they're humans? Like I get how like, oh, Edward was really perceptive when he was a human and that translated into him reading minds. <laughs> and Jasper was really charismatic and made people feel certain ways when he was a human. And that translated into him having like emotional manipulation. So what was Jane as a human like for her to just like torture people? when she's a vampire. How was that prospective talent like stumbled upon? I'm really curious about that. And then Bella finally says, oh, no thanks. (laughs) No thanks. And, And Arrow's like, oh, that's unfortunate, such a waste. And Edward is getting so self-righteous. He's like, oh, join or die, is that it? I suspected as much when we were brought to this room. So much for your laws. And it's like, okay, Edward, high horse, you literally came to them begging them to take your life just yesterday, asking them for a favor. And now you're being all stroppy with how they run things. You came to them because they're killers. And Arrow's like, oh, Edward, calm down. We were already waiting in this room before you got here. We were waiting for Heidi's return, not for you. So this is their kill room, clearly. That's why there's a drain in the middle of the floor. Bella noticed that earlier. She's like, oh, there's a drain in the middle of the floor. And she's like, oh, maybe that's how they exit the building when they want to go into town. Which was a dumb thought, Bella, because you just came up through the elevator and the reception desk. Why would they also have like a a little escape hatch in the middle of the floor? It's a drain for, well, I guess it's not for their blood because they're drinking their blood. I don't know, maybe for the bodies, for like the corpses and shit. So yeah, it's their kill room. And then Caius finally gets another word in. Caius, now that he's found his voice, he's really using it. And he's like, the law claims them. She knows too much. You have exposed our secrets. Uh, yeah, yeah. They they did tell a human that they're vampires. Edward showed her his glittery skin in the meadow. He did break the law. I'm on their side. Execute them. Edward broke the rules. He should be executed. Kill Bella. Oh, and Caius's voice was papery thin, just like his skin. Ugh. This paper metaphor is done to death. And Edward's like, ah, there's a few humans in on your charade here as well. And she's thinking of the pretty receptionist. The pretty receptionist, even though she's fugly compared to all the vampires. And Caius is like, yeah, but when they're no longer useful for us, they will serve to sustain us. That's not your plan for this little chickadee. He says, if she betrays our secrets, are you prepared to destroy her? I think not. And she's like, I wouldn't. (laughs) Cause you know, she loves holding a secret. She loves holding a secret, even though she told Alice all about the werewolves. Remember, because Alice asked her a question about it and she was like, oh, I probably shouldn't say anything, but whatever. And she just spilled all about the pack. So Caius is like, yeah, we're going to have to kill her, but you guys can leave. And then Arrow, he's like, well, 
unless, do you want to give her immortality? And Edward's like, well, what if I do? And Arrow says, well, then you'd be free to go and give my regards to Carlisle, but you would have to mean it. And Edward's lips are tightened into a fierce line. And she's thinking, was it really such a loathsome idea? Would he rather die than change me? I felt like I'd been kicked in the stomach. Would he rather die than change me? You just stopped his suicide attempt. Would he rather die? Yes, he would. He would. Can and has and will. He'd rather dump you than change you. That's why he dumped you in the forest at the start of this book. He clearly doesn't want to change you. This isn't new information. But she feels like she's been kicked in the stomach. Ugh. And then Alice is like, oh God, let's wrap this shit up. So she walks up to Arrow. She's got her hand out. So her and Arrow hold hands. And then Arrow is like, oh, that's interesting. He says, that was fascinating. Arrow is just so joyful. He's got such a joyous presence. He's always interested and fascinated by everything. He thinks everything's wonderful. He's laughing a lot. He's got a beautiful sense of humor. Arrow is the best character. And Arrow says, to see the things you've seen, especially the ones that haven't happened yet. And Alice says, but that will. And he says, yes, yes, it's quite determined. Certainly there's no problem. And they're talking about seeing Bella as a vampire, which I'm just not buying because... Everything Alice has told us about her visions is that it depends on the decisions that are made and they can change all the time. But apparently, Bella becoming a vampire is a sure thing. It's quite determined. Yet we all know from Breaking Dawn that she almost died. Didn't she have that horrible little resume vampire baby? And then like she she was dead for a bit and then she only just survived enough to become a vampire. But, but it's a sure thing, apparently. Why you would put any stock in her visions, ugh. And then Arrow's like, oh, you know what? They might not join us today, but we can always hope for the future. Imagine the joy young Alice alone would bring to our little household. Besides, I'm so terribly curious to see how Bella turns out. They're acting like they've never seen like a fortune teller before. Surely someone else has had this little talent of Alice in the past however many years. Surely. But I suppose her talent is better than reading relationships, so they would want her on their team. And he's so curious to see how Bella turns out. Oh boy. But then Bella's getting depressed just thinking about how Edward doesn't want her to be a vampire. She's like, if I did become a vampire, what would be the point? Because Edward would be so repulsed. If death was to him a better alternative than having me around forever as an eternal annoyance... I've said this like a hundred times, but he like, he just tried to commit suicide because you died. He's clearly in love with you. She's so insecure. And like, I know why she's so insecure is because he dumped her and abandoned her for months. So yeah, that would psychologically affect her. But man, just, ugh. She says, I felt myself sinking down into depression, drowning in it, just because Edward didn't want her to be a vampire. Meanwhile, you could die here. Your life has been threatened and this is your main concern. And Edward's like, oh, we're free to go? And Arrow's like, yep, do visit. And Caius is like, we'll also visit you to make sure you've followed through with your plan. So don't take too long. And you can already tell that Edward's plan is to let Bella finish high school. How dumb is that? Sure, we'll turn her into a vampire, but she's she's got to finish high school. It's really important that she gets her high school certificate. It doesn't really matter at all, does it? When you're going to be a vampire, does it really matter if you graduate? So Arrow tells them to wait it out until sundown before leaving the city, and then they make Edward put on a cloak because he says, you're a little conspicuous. Meanwhile, those other vampires are wearing summer dresses, so does it really matter? But Edward puts on the cloak and, and he's like, all right, better be off. 
So they start following Dimitri out. She says, we set off the way we'd come in, the only exit by the look of things, even though she just said that, that there was a drain in the middle of the floor and she thought that was another exit. But she says, this was the only exit by the look of things. Oh God. It's like, you know what? They're an ancient family of vampires. I don't think they're worried about having emergency exits and like fire doors. I feel like that's not on their list of things that they care about. So does it really matter that there's only one entrance point? one exit point. And then Bella hears a babble of noises coming from the antechamber. And so it's this tour group and they're all like, oh, this is unusual. And someone else is like, wow, so medieval. And so they're coming, coming through from the antechamber and Arrow's saying to them, welcome, welcome to Volterra. And she says, there's about 40 tourists. She said, A few of them snapped pictures, others looked confused, as if the story that had led them to this room was not making sense anymore. And she noticed one, a small dark woman, that's a small dark woman. She said around her neck was a rosary and she gripped the cross tightly in one hand. (laughs) This poor little religious bitch that just got caught up in the wrong tool group. And Bella's finally figured out what's, what's going on. And she's hiding the horrified expression on her face as Edward's like racing her through the antechamber or whatever. So they get to the ornate golden hallway and there's this gorgeous statuesque woman. And Dimitri's like, oh, hey, Heidi. And she says this Heidi chick was exceptional, unforgettable, beautiful. And she says she was dressed to emphasize that beauty. Her amazingly long legs darkened with tights were exposed by the shortest of miniskirts. Her top was long sleeved and high necked but extremely close fitting and constructed of red vinyl. So she looks like a giant slut. And she says her long mahogany hair was lustrous and her eyes were the strangest shade of violet. And Dimitri says, nice fishing. And that's when Bella says, I suddenly understood the attention grabbing outfit she wore. She was not only the fisherman, but also the bait. So the implication is that this chick Heidi, she goes out into Volterra or to a neighboring town and dresses up as like this hooker and lures people into doing like a tour group so that she can bring a whole group full of tourists into Volterra so that the Volturi can eat them. And I'm like, wow, she, she hoodwinked that little nun. <laughs> that little dark lady with the rosary beads got, got caught up in her miniskirt and was like, yeah, I'll follow this attractive lady. That, that doesn't make sense to me. And also we were just told last chapter, the Volterra is the safest place ever from vampire attack because they ship their food in. But I mean, this is clearly a tour group who are in Volterra. And if multiple tour groups just go missing all the time in this one little town in Italy, surely there'd be an inquest. There'd be a little investigation. So then they start running out because they want to get away from the slaughter. And she says, We got to the end of the hallway before the screaming started, and that's the end of the chapter. What a chapter. What a chapter. It's actually probably the best chapter of the book so far, even though it was ridiculous. Like, Marcus can read relationships. (laughs) Although I do do kind of feel a bit cheated that the climax of the book is just them talking. And I mean, that's going to be worse in Breaking Dawn, where there's no climax, it's just talking. But you'd think there'd be this like big scary fight in Volterra, but nah, it's just a little chat and some hand holding. <laughs> it's kind of a letdown, really. So the next chapter is called Flight. So I imagine it's them just leaving Volterra and catching a flight. <laughs> As is becoming really common in these books, just catch a flight. I am looking forward to getting back to Forks and picking up on the shit fight that they left behind there. Charlie's gonna be pissed. 
Jacob's going to be pissed. Victoria is going to be pissed. So I'll see you next week for, for that, probably. You watch, the next chapter will be just them on a plane. <laughs> but we'll see. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.